Welcome to the Equipping You podcast, where our mission is to equip Alliance pastors and leaders to live spiritually healthy lives and lead healthy churches. Equipping You is a ministry of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. For more information on this podcast and other ministries of the Alliance, visit equippingyou.org. Hey, 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 welcome back to Equipping You podcast. This is season eight episode 11 11 when do we have episode 11 what is that i think this is the first time it is a first time uh all of the good stuff is bubbling over. bubbling over speaking of bubbling bubbling we'll talk about bubbling later we're coming to you today from columbus ohio home of alan's favorite restaurant white castle no no, Terry, that's my least favorite restaurant. Oh, if I wanted grease on a roll of bread, I would just make it myself. I've never had White Castle, but I understand it's a love it or hate it thing, but it is headquartered here in Columbus. Find me on the side of hate in that case. All right, Alan. Alan. I'm Terry, church ministries leader for the Alliance. And I'm Alan, director of development in Eastern PA Alliance. And Isaac Charles, our producer, is here watching over us, making sure we look good, sound good, and do good. That's a lot of responsibility. <laughs> it is. That's his full-time job. <laughs> okay, we're going to do today, Alan, our third biographical interview of an Alliance worker. And we're actually doing a couple I today love it. for the first time. Mm-hmm. Lead pastor and wife from Neighborhood Church in Durwood, Maryland, Rockville, Maryland. It's the suburban Washington, D.C. area. It is. Mark and Nami Trinkle. And Mark is a regular listener. To yeah, absolutely. And drink rec- recommender. And drink recommender. That's right. So uh, we're, we're very happy to uh, chat with them. I love these biographical Me too. Um, interviews where we get to know people a little bit better and have the opportunity to introduce them to the Alliance family. So grab yourself a cup of Taiwanese bubble tea. You have a cup of bubble tea? Or? I think you have a cup, yeah. Okay. Uh, Taiwanese bubble tea. Sit back, relax. Here we go. And we're pleased to welcome to Equipping You Podcast, Mark and Nami Trinko. Welcome, guys. Thanks for joining us this morning. Thank you. Thanks for the invitation. Thank you for having us. <laughs> Faithful listener here. Woo-hoo. Faithful yes. listener indeed. So, yes. <laughs> uh, so, hey, tell us both of you about your spiritual journey, how you came to faith in Jesus. We, we, we like for our listeners to get to know our interviewees. So give us a little snippet of your story. Yeah. Uh, well, I'll start. Uh, I grew up in the Midwest in Wisconsin, a little bit north of Milwaukee in a small town called, called West Bend. My dad was a middle school teacher there for around 30 plus years, lived in the same house growing up. My parents encountered Christ uh, in college. And so I kind of came into a young Christian family per se. They, they didn't have a lot of spiritual roots. And um, so I grew up in a Christian home, two older brothers, a younger sister. Uh, so I was that middle child. And um uh, floated around to a lot of different churches growing up. My parents were involved in church planting on kind of like a lay level. Um, so I never really called a church my home growing up. It was just kind of the eclectic things of all different churches. And by the time I hit high school, I had uh, kind of put God on the back burner and partying on the front. 
And so I got into all types of alcohol and drugs and all sorts of things. And so high school was a blur for me. Graduated from high school or actually kind of graduated. That's a whole nother story. I'll leave for a different day. <laughs> you finished. You finished. <laughs> finished. Finished high school. And um, was working basically uh, in a printing company. I had a dead end job. And um, one night I went out to go to a party, an all night party. And I was supposed to meet my brother, Jeremy, there, who is one year older than me and um, never met up with him. And I drove back at about eight in the morning, went to bed and was woken up a couple hours later to find out that my brother had been killed in a car accident. Um, It was not alcohol drug related. It was just took a corner wrong on the way to work. And so instantly my life changed. And in that, that moment, I didn't necessarily turn towards God. I did see God's presence in the midst of it. But, um, but I, I decided to kind of seize the day, you know, grab a hold of the moment. So I thought that was wine, women song, that whole thing. Uh, what I thought I was putting back together just became like sand through my hands. Mm. And, and I crashed again. And my sister, my younger sister, Angela, invited me to a youth ministry. And, and I said, well, are there any cute girls there? So I went with pure motives in mind because I knew there were some cute girls there and um, sat down in the back of uh, the church. And it wasn't a song or anything that was preached, but I like to say that the hound of heaven cornered me in the back of the church. Love it. And I just broke. I was a snotty crying mess. (laughs) And and depending on which way you look at it, um, when I was younger, yes, I did make a profession of faith, but maybe that was my crisis of sanctification there, yeah, yeah. where I really encountered Christ in that way. And from there, it just put me on a total different trajectory. Um, the Word of God came alive to me. The addictions changed rapidly, um, and I was able to enter into schools of ministry, missions, and ministry. Great. Great. Wonderful. Nami. So my spiritual journey, how I came to know Christ is uh, very different than Mark. And I'm coming from South Korea, uh-huh. completely opposite side of the world. And I grew up in a, a Buddhist family. So I used to go to Buddha temple and um, as a family. And my dad asked us to bow down to Buddha and make a wish. So that kind of a background. And I never went to even church. My father was a against Christianity, um, gave us ideas that that's not a good thing to do. So I remember there was a small even church in my village, um, but I've never even thought about going to the church. So I, you know, if you are aware of a little bit of Asian culture, it's very heavily uh, pressured in education, higher and more education. So as my parents, they sent uh, my brother, my sister, I'm the youngest, sent us uh, to city. Uh, they were farmers and working in the countryside, living with uh, different relatives. And, uh, you know, just for the sake of uh, uh, sending us better schools and giving us better opportunities. So um, I ended up going to schools in the city throughout. I was growing up and of course, like always pressured that you need to get a better grade, you need to get a study more. So I was always going to library, my house, and then school again. And that was like a repetitive pattern. And when I entered uh, university, um, I had a moment kind of a, a feeling of a fail- failure in the first time because uh, 
was very good at school, but the last uh, test that was a huge, huge uh, important in a whole countrywide, I did not good as you, you know, I expected. Mm-hmm. And um, throughout those experiences, and one of the lady from university fellowship, uh, the university campus ministry uh, approached me to go to this conference. And I was kept saying, no, no, as I talk to you and I was like in you know, only home library and school and <laughs> she was asking me to go away for one week just designed for non-christians whole one week and I don't wow. have money, I don't have time I don't have nothing <laughs> every time she approached me I just you know made all these different excuses and she said if you don't have money I'll give you money mm-hmm. if you don't have a and she would have just provided different things I'm like how come you're just as poor as I am you're a university student and you can tell me even you can give me money and mm-hmm. <clears throat> One day before the conference, I, I just, you know, I, I don't know. I was just thinking, maybe that's not a bad idea. And then my aunt, uh, who I rarely saw in even when I was growing up, and she came to my parents' house, and I was with my parents at that time. Mm-hmm. And she, right before she left, um, and she said, she just whispered to me, and she said, I left some money for you in the fridge under one of the containers, the side dish container. And I was like, what? And after she left, I looked at the, you know, the, the, the spot that she told me and that was the money. And it was exact the same money that I needed to go to conference. Wow. Wow. I called another friend who went to the different university. Hey, you want to go? And she came along. And so we ended up going to there and in a, big Christian bus. It was of a hundred non-Christians. And they took us to the, in the middle of a mountain, huge building, Christian building. And they had a conference separately for the Christians about 200 to 250 people. So uh, we were there. And at the first time when I looked around and they started singing songs and they were clapping and crying and calling somebody their Lord and, (laughs) <laughs> we looked at each other. We are in trouble. <laughs> I love this story. <laughs> it's like, and you know, I felt like we are in a pagan some temple or something. And I was like, we got to get out of here. <laughs> we tried to get out of there, but there's no bus. <laughs> it's just in the middle of mountains. So, well, like maybe you know, they give us food. They're nice people. <laughs> maybe just you know, we just here for a week and. Third day, um, they combined uh, us, so non-Christian, 100 non-Christians, about 200 Christians. They had a combined service. And um, I was just the same, like, looking around the people, like, you are really weird. And this is just like a totally, totally so odd. And I just want to get out of here. And uh, through the worship song, one of the lyrics, and I clearly heard, you know, God is calling my name and mm. not me. And, and he said through that lyric, and then I love you. And at the mm. same time, it sounds a bit mythical, but um, the whole, such a warm, peaceful light that just surrounded me. Mm. And then it just wrapped me around. Mm. And I looked around and, and looked up and the light was going all the way through the ceiling. I could not see the building, but only the light. And I uh, and I knew at that time this is what they said, Jesus, and just everything just 
broke and I was crier, crying worse than anybody. I was, <laughs> <laughs> I looked at the craziest one in the middle of all those people. It was not what I planned. It just happened. Mm. And I could have felt that people are landing their hands on me and started praying for me. That's all I can think about. And after that, I <clears throat> just started to really know what who is Jesus? Why? Why does he love me? And just, you know, searching and looking and Bible and, okay, give me more, give me more. And um, I was uh, buying different Bibles and I had like, you know, at that time I had a physics major and I was like, these books were changing with different versions of Bibles because I started studying and um, that's how I first came to know Christ. Mm-hmm. That's wow. beautiful. Praise that God. is great. Love it. love to get that, all that backstory there. That's fantastic. <laughs> uh, so tell us about some people that have been influential in you developing as people and as leaders. Yeah, for me, uh, that's been some people have really been influential. I've been my parents, both my mom and my dad. Uh, they prayed for me and they've, you know, counseled me in so many different ways that they have been those faithful, steadfast followers of Jesus in my life. And also my grandma, who turned 100 this last year. Um, wow. She has to her. Yeah. She has been a, you know, matriarch of the family that has prayed again and again. I remember one time Nami and I were going through some difficult times and she came to stay at our house. And I remember waking up at like four or five in the morning and she's on her knees praying for us in our living room. And so, you know, definitely my parents and my mom or my grandma. And um, another person was Dennis Ola, who was at that church that I encountered Christ. Uh, He took a young, (laughs) pretty messed up kid under his wing uh, for a year long school of ministry, which gave me both some spiritual formation and practical um, opportunities in ministry. So that was very young in my faith. Another one was I served under an interim pastor in the Alliance after the church that I was at in Wisconsin affiliated with the Alliance. And his name was Dan Crom. Um, he now has went to be with the Lord. Yeah, yeah. But um, I served alongside him for a year and he was very influential in my life and putting me on some good tracks with regards to just, you know, pastoral ministry and also uh, just going on to more education too. That's great. That's great. Thank God for those people. And I love when you people are, when our guests say somebody that uh, no one's heard of before. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because those are the people that make the difference along the way. Yeah. And uh, man, anyone you want to add to that list, Nami? Yeah, I definitely, those are university leaders. And when I became to know Christ and they right away, they took me under their wings and they started training me to be a personally, a person that who can, um, um, you know, uh, lead another individuals to Christ. Yeah. And then they train me to be a small group leader. And then they train me as a uh, leader of the about 100 peoples of uh, um, we called villages. So we had yeah. a different villages in university fellowship. Yeah. And um, they definitely poured their life and time mm-hmm. for me. And we got together once every week and then we made a you know small food and then we studied the bible at that time it was a lot more of an inductive bible study and um when i married mark definitely his family you know that um his grandmother 
and she's uh, like a four, like a four foot and eight, eight, eight inches. Eight. Yeah, she's a yeah. tiny. Yeah. Whenever I think about her, she's such a small lady, but such a mighty person. Yeah, uh, yeah. So uh, she was the one that I could call her and grandma and, you know, I'm having trouble with this. And she would just mm. start praying for us and praying for me and she would listen and also his parents and when i first moved uh to america from korea they just um wide open arm and they accepted me as uh, uh, who i am and as uh, just um i mean not any different than anybody else but they just really embraced me in and invited me to their family uh and they're a practice practicing their Christianity. As I said, like, you know, I was not, I did not grow up in a Christian family. And so I did not know in real life, really, how you leave the Christianity. And his family was living like that, you know, in the morning, looking at the parents who open up the Bible, and they start reading Bible, and then they pray. Mm. And throughout the day, they give him praises, not to say they didn't have any, you know, troubles, but those are consistent um, practicing Christianities that hugely impacted me. Yeah. yeah, those are the people that I really think influenced mm. my spiritual life. Nice. So, uh, Mark and Nami, tell us how you met, fell in love, got married, and uh, tell us about your kiddos. Do you want me to start? Yeah, sure. Okay. Um, after encountering Christ, I ended up through a whole series of events going with uh, an organization called Operation Mobilization and lived two years in England uh, at what was called Love United Kingdom Evangelism. It was a training center and we were reaching out across the uh, Birmingham area in England. And um, I joined a team of around 27 people from all over the world. There was only one other person from the U.S., uh, but probably one of the larger contingencies in that group was from Korea. Um, and so Nami and I served on uh, this same mission, you know, team uh, together. We actually had, uh, we, we would go on mission trips actually around the UK and Nami was the team leader on one of those. And I was the assistant team leader. Ah. But, but throughout uh, like that first year, we just became good friends and, we're serving Christ together in a lot of really neat ways. And when she moved back to Korea at the end of that first year, I think both of us realized there was something more there, but she had moved to the other side of the planet now. And, <laughs> and um, so we kept in touch. That was in the days of phone cards and emails, uh, not FaceTime and Zoom calls. And yeah. so we kept in touch, but really thought, how is this really going to work out? Within two months, she was able to get a job in international business and moved to Belgium. And so I was in England, she was in Belgium, and we would, you know, kind of exchange weekends at times and see each other. And so there was many train stations, airports, other things that we would meet and then a few days later leave and just praying and saying, okay, God, if you want to make this happen, uh, this is pretty crazy, but uh, we're going to trust that if this is your leading, you're going to work it out. And then from there, after a year of doing that, I moved back to the U.S. She moved back to Korea. I saved up a little bit of money, moved to Korea, went and studied language and culture in Korea. And it was during that time that we were, because the reason for moving to Korea, when I was serving in England, they told me, if I'm going to marry cross-culturally, I better go and spend more than a vacation in that person's country. Mm. Because if 
I love the person, but I really don't like their country, that's going to become a significant issue along the way. So I took that seriously and said, I'll go over there for three or four months and see uh, what happens. And there was many things that happened, both good and bad and challenging. <laughs> but at the end, we took some time to pray and fast and say, okay, God, is this where you're leading us? And we we came to almost more of like a rational versus an emotional decision of like, this, this isn't going to be easy, but we believe that you're leading here and we're going to move forward with this. So I went to her dad in Korean, uh, formally uh, on my knees, all doing most of the proper bows. I messed up a few of them and asked if I could marry his daughter. And he said, yes, but you need to go back to the U.S. and get a job. Uh, <laughs> so good father like that. And then we had to wait for a year for a fiance visa or that for all the things to come through. And so then in 2005, we were married. That's great. Yeah, if I can just uh, shortly talk about how I fell in love with Mark and Really, we, neither of us had an agenda to find a boys or girls, and I really didn't look for it. And especially, I really didn't expect a guy from completely opposite, opposite side of the world with blonde hair. At that time, he had some hair. <laughs> <laughs> blonde hair and blue eyes. And it was just not in the idea because we we're just so different. And but uh, in the uh, training center, uh, you know, as I walking on the hall and I look through the kitchen, there was a group of guys talking and debating over Bible. And I saw one of them were Mark and these guys were just really passionately just debating over the Bible. And I think I remember seeing him and how passionately he was just so got involved and talking and, you know, and then there was a different things that are really hard to solve in the Bible. And they were just said, bring it out. And they're just debating such, mm -hmm. such is just passionately. And I think that was the moment that I really fell in love with him. But I, once again, I never even thought about even thinking of word of a marriage because it was mm -hmm. just wasn't there. Mm -hmm. It was just very different than me, if not only looks and culture and everything. Mm -hmm. Um, I know Mark talked about how we got married, but I'll just talk about a little bit about our kiddos. We have uh, four children, and our first one is Hannah. She's uh, 14 years old, eighth grade, going on um, high school next year. She loves um, to she loves to read books and playing viol violins, and she loves to cook and bake. So we're we're lucky to have some you know food that she makes. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And then yeah. the second one is a Jehu. He's a, a seventh grade. So uh, he's going on eighth grade next year. He loves it. He's a soccer player. So we go to um, weekends for his games. And he also loves books and also uh, playing the video games. And both of our two oldest ones are currently serving also at the sound system and presentations and in the service part yeah. that and be a part of a, you know, a serving for the church. And the third one is a Jaden and is our, uh, he's a, he loves to build and um, he likes to play with his best friend of video games as well. And our youngest is Anneli. She's, uh, she just turned eight years old and she's our gymnast. Uh, so you see her like, you know, cartwheeling all around the house. <laughs> nice. And, nice. <laughs> loves to play in the park. Yeah. Neat. So, you know, we're obviously putting the pieces together here. You have a cross-cultural marriage. Uh, what, you know, what's 
challenges and opportunities have come from having a cross-cultural marriage? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, I think some of the challenges even started playing out when uh, I moved to Korea. Uh, you begin to recognize when you move from the United States to Asia that you're not in Kansas anymore. <laughs> and Wisconsin. Yeah, exactly. In Wisconsin anymore. And so I think some of the challenge have been with language, just trying to uh, navigate that. I think early on in our relationship, I thought Nami understood more of what I was saying in English than she actually did. She actually has a degree in English, but, um, you know, part of it was, you know, she would just smile and lovingly look at me and nod, but I don't know how much was understood. <laughs> also, there's differences with, with like respect and shame cultures and the way you treat one another and relate to one another. So those, those have really presented some challenges like with parenting, with the way we look at life, with the way uh, that we look at culture around us. And another, I think, blessing of it has really been being able to bring really different people together. Like, so in our house, we might have pancakes for breakfast or, and then Korean barbecue for dinner. Or one day my older daughter got up and she was eating Korean soup for breakfast. And I was like, I never did that growing up. Um, and so just even food wise, food's a big part of life that the diversity of food that is around and the, the ability to relate to people from all different backgrounds too, because we've had to make compromises and adjustments in our own relationship that have allowed us to relate better to even people who come from vastly different backgrounds. Mm. You guys serve at neighborhood church in Durwood, uh, Maryland. Tell us what's unique and distinct about your church and about the area, the community where it's located. Yeah. So this church, when I came here, was named Durwood Alliance Church. And in the last few years, we've renamed it Neighborhood Church. I was planted in the 1960s. And mm. so it's been around about 50 plus years. Um, the area that we're in bumps into Washington, D.C. It's called Montgomery County, Maryland. It's a county of about a million people. Within the public schools, there's around 150 different nationalities, mm, wow. 115 uh, languages spoken. And so that diversity is around us. It's within the church, um, and it pro provides both opportunities and challenges in that way. Um, it's the, the church itself, when I came in, it had been a, a larger church and had went through some pretty difficult times. And so when I came in, it had kind of stabilized, but also was in need of some revitalization. And we've seen God do some amazing works, uh, both in bringing life in so many different areas, both within the church and outside the church, and also diversifying us as a congregation. We're a little over 50% Anglo, white, and then about 45% of all different nations from around the world, Africa, Asia, Latin America, Australia, Europe. And so we have embraced that both mm -hmm. in our church and also in how we're trying to live it out. Well, if I, if I give you just like, you know, some pictures of how this area is looking like yesterday, one of my neighbor called me and invited me for lunch, for ladies lunch. And she's coming from Ecuador. And then I went there there is a lady from Japan originally, lady from Korea, lady from Bolivia, and then she was serving, uh, the host was serving us Ecuadorian food. <laughs> and so we're talking like, oh, gracias, and arigato gozaimasu, and gozaimasu, 
it's not a big deal. People just share even different languages. If we know some certain languages, you just being a part of it and, you know, two or three other groups of English. And then we come back to the English and then they, we talk about it in Korean, certain people. So it's that kind of a culture wow. in certain areas. Yeah. And enjoying the different food, of course, you know, and I, I'm going to invite uh, another, my neighbor and uh, hey, you want to come over for Korean barbecue? And everybody likes Korean barbecue. <laughs> I would agree with that. <laughs> absolutely oh man keep, I, the, keep the kimchi temperature down and i'm okay <laughs> we have a water kimchi version so that's for you <laughs> terry's got a wimpy tongue you can bring it on for me it's okay i would be okay with that oh my goodness well if you're in the area we'll, we'll definitely open our doors for you all right <laughs> thank you thank you that sounds like a plan uh i would be interested in that wow so you know it's still a learning curve right Always trying to, right, always trying to become, you, you know, I guess there's this sense of some people say they want a diverse church, but what they really mean is they want a white church that has a diverse congregation, yeah. but you're trying to lead a diverse church. And then that means that it looks different too, how the ministry is performed and what worship looks like and all that. Right. So, yeah. you know, what are you learning on that? And, you know, how do you keep moving toward that being truly diverse. Yeah. Well, I think you're right, Alan, with regards to just culturally, you know, um, you know, and we use all these different terms, multi-ethnic, multicultural and other things. And I do define each one of those a little bit different yeah. mm -hmm. because, you know, you can be a multi-ethnic church with different people in the seats, but to be multicultural means that you're allowing the different ethnicities and cultural backgrounds to influence the direction of the church. And so we are trying, we are a multi-ethnic church and trying to really be a multicultural church, hmm. ultimately saying that um, this is a biblical conviction. So I think the first thing, you have to be convinced that it's biblical, that when you look across the pages of scripture, that this is God's plan for the church, not just something trendy in the U.S. or across the world. And so when you see all the way, you know, you go from the garden to Abraham and you see God blesses him to be a blessing to the nations. You see at the Tower of Babel that the, these, uh, God separates people by language, but then in the book of Acts, he reunites people mm. as the spirit of God is poured out. Absolutely. And so I think the church should be an incredible expression of God's heart about bringing the nations together. And then even fast forwarding through the book of Acts, so the church in Antioch, and then the picture in Revelation 7 of all tribes, tongues, and people worshiping before the throne of God. And clearly you see different ethnicity and distinction in these people. It isn't just one homogenous culture or people that are worshiping before the throne of God. So first, I really think biblical conviction. Uh, second, I think you have to identify that there's a need. Whether or not we recognize it, you might live in an area that's very uh, monoculture, but according to all the statistics in the U.S., by 2050, there will be under 50% white in the U.S. Yeah. And that's coming to your neighborhood if it isn't there yet. You know, yeah. we, we already have it in our neighborhood, but it's coming to your neighborhood. And so I believe it is a need and the church should be more on the cutting edge of that and saying, how can we embrace this? How can we welcome people in? And the third, you really have to be intentional. You know, I think you have to be intentional about what you're trying to do. You can't just think that this will naturally happen. And so a few things we, we recognize, as Alan, you've said, it's a work in progress. So there's things that 
we still need to work on. We aren't as diverse in our leadership as we'd like to be, but we're trusting that God will do that in his time and his way. But we're having many conversations about that. But also in worship, you know, uh, at least once or twice a month, we have an African lady who's leading worship. And we've done Afro-Caribbean style on Sunday mornings. Our worship director is uh, Anglo, white, but she loves bringing in different languages and different people and celebrating that. And so uh, we really try to be intentional in all different areas of making this happen. Yeah. Intentional is there. I have a good friend in our area who's uh, worked really hard to have a multi-ethnic, multicultural church. And I love that distinction, by the way. That was really helpful for me. I haven't heard anybody quite word it that way. Yeah. But I would say that he would agree with you. Hundred, You have to be intentional. It is not going to happen unless you are working hard at it. And, uh, and a lot of people don't really want it enough to be intentional. So thank you for wanting that. To me, that's an encouragement to all of us. Yeah, and it takes and it takes hard work, and it actually takes uh, changing us. You know, adopting language like it's not wrong; it's just different. Mm-hmm. You know, when you sit around a meal, we have like a feast of nations a few times a year, and we encourage people to sample all the food and not be like, "Oh, that's bad." Say, "No, actually, it's just different." Um, and maybe it's not my taste, but maybe somebody's showing up that night—that's their soul food. That's the food that their mom made growing up. Mm-hmm. And to be able to see things from a different perspective and even, you know, simple language like that, when you look around and see something and just saying, hey, it's not wrong. It's actually just different. <laughs> What's the uh, most surprisingly good food you've had at one of your uh, your international feasts at your church? Ooh, there, there's surprisingly these, good. There's these samosas that somebody brings that are really good, that are Indian. Uh, this other lady makes sushi. That's really great. Yesterday I had this Bolivian soup mm. and there was some pieces. I go, what is this? It's a pig skin. And I really didn't grow up with eating pig skin, but I'm like, ooh, this really is <laughs> You're eating footballs in your soup. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> and even for your skin. <laughs> even even Krispy Kreme and pizza is ethnic food. So you know, I, I enjoy a little bit of that. The okay, that's fair. Too. That's fair. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. So Nami, how do you see your role as a pastor's wife? How, how do you involve yourself in the ministry of the church? And kind of how do you balance all of that out with your um, family responsibilities? Well, my role as a pastor's wife is uh, just one of the part that, you know, one of the head where what I'm wearing is the first foremost that, you know, reminding myself that God is not looking at me as a, or calling me as a pastor's wife. You know, I, I am very grounded and clearly know now after all these years of a ministry and that, you know, I'm beloved God's daughter and I'm not me. I don't have to be, you know, somebody that I'm not or, you know, I don't have to be super holy. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in the meantime, I'm also a part time nurse and. And so I work at a hospital and uh, also I, I know that I'm a wife and a um, mother of a four children and busy house. And so this is one of the role that I'm also a part of it. So what I do and uh, we just finished um, the study of not finished. It's still in the middle of an Elijah book from the Priscilla Shire that uh, we've been studying as a women group. And um, I've been leading with another lady from church at her house and so it's been a, such a bless and we were taking a little bit of a break 
And also I teach children at a children's ministry. Um, and uh, both Mark and I, we enjoy having uh, people over, like, mm. you know, especially we have uh, more leaders uh, from church and also the neighbors. And once again, I said a Korean barbecue. Nobody <laughs> said no. As they get adults and children, everybody loves Korean barbecue. Yeah, yeah. And uh, kimchi is a certain people's <laughs> favorite, but not for everybody. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and also I make some kind of a Korean sushi, not including, you know, with the raw fish. So we enjoy those things and um, try to balancing out. You know, uh, I used to think as a, you know, I have to give 100 percent as a wife and mother and as a pastor's wife and, you know, the nurse. And I realized quickly I can't do it. Yeah. So, uh, I look at my schedule. We, uh, you know, a week before or even a whole month, we look at schedules together and then say, hey, what do you think? How is it going to, this is going to work? Mm-hmm. And we communicate and how we can accommodate this by balancing our lives together. And um, so that's what I've been doing. And after 17 years, only in America, <laughs> the ministry, I think I've learned. And I don't want to burn myself and uh, or like, you know, setting such a high expectation, but finding myself in Christ and also finding the right motives. Why am I doing and, you know, where am I finding this motivation? So um, as long as I know that you know, I'm pleasing God and this is we enjoy together, Mark and I, then um, we're good. At- yeah. That's good. Love that. We love your story, guys, and um, really glad that you're a part of our Alliance family. Amen. Thanks for your faithful ministry there at Neighborhood Church and in that community. And uh, we'd love to ask you many, many more questions to get to know you better, but we thank you for sharing your lives with us in this time together. Yeah. And I uh, want you to know, you know, since I have the privilege of being the uh, regional church planning coordinator in uh, our part of the USA, uh, that uh, I'll be praying for you guys as you seek to reach uh, lost people in your region and be a church planning church as well. I know that that's on your heart as well, Mark. So, yeah, mm-hmm. amen. Yeah, thank you so much for making the time. I, I greatly appreciate what the alliance is doing and um, embracing this. And so, yeah, we hope to be a part of uh, building, you know, God's kingdom in the DC area and beyond. Amen. You already are. Amen. God bless you guys. Yeah. Blessings to you too. Great conversation. Yes, with, it was. Uh, Mark and Nami love their stories. Uh, just remind you of, of how faithful our God is to pursue us. Yeah, yeah amen. How about that, right? Yeah, Both of them love it. Talk and about. I love their stories. Both of them. and the way God brought them together, and now they're a multicultural couple leading this multicultural church, and, and uh, seeing people come to know Christ and such good uh, stuff. So, anything particular that you? Uh, captivated out of this uh, episode, Alan? Well, you already talked about how God pursues us. I love how that was barely clear in both of their uh, stories. I love, I I actually love the personal insight into them sharing a multicultural marriage and what that means. Mm -hmm. And probably my favorite ministry tidbit was just thinking about churches being both multi-ethnic and multicultural and what that means. So that's a big takeaway from the ministry side of things. So uh, Mark's doing some stuff, uh, trying to coordinate some churches together who are in the Alliance and multi-ethnic, multicultural churches. If you're interested in that, uh, feel free to contact him. He'd love to chat with you. I'm sure he would. And uh, next time we will be doing season nine, Alan. 
season nine. That's crazy to think about. But you know what season nine will include? Episode 100. Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. It's that right is, around the corner. That is going to be amazing. We're turning 100, Alan. Mm, wow. Haven't thought about it that way. So uh, we'll see you next time on season nine. Thanks for listening. Meanwhile, keep the faith. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Equipping You podcast. If you liked this episode, please consider subscribing and rating our channel. We hope you will join us for our next episode. For more information on this podcast and other ministries of the Alliance, visit equippingyou.org.